Well, let's jump right in. Uh, we had just finished the book of Titus. If you were with us before that, we went through the book of Judges in the Old Testament. And before that, we went through the entire gospel of Mark. We, we, uh, we really believe at Redemption Church that going through the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter is the best way to understand the scripture. Okay, And so because of that, we try to mix and match. And the book of Psalms is what we're going to do for the next 10 weeks. Obviously, we're not going to cover all of the Psalms. That would be insane. But we are going to take 10 specific Psalms, very strategically picked, um, and go through those. Now, what Psalms affords us is something that Titus didn't and Judges didn't and, and Mark doesn't. And I try to explain why we choose some of the books that, that we do at times. And, and here's why Psalms is a big deal. Where, where um, the book of Judges is very historical, right? And, and the Gospels is both historical, but the life of Jesus and explaining the kingdom of God. And then the book of Titus is kind of imperative-driven, meaning command-driven, saying, here's what you need to do, here's how you need to do it, some truths. What the book of Psalms does, the Song of Psalms does, uh, Proverbs does, Ecclesiastes does is it provides some wisdom literature and and more appropriately it provides insights into the soul very real life um a guy named chris wright he's a new testament theologian but was talking about psalms and he says it's where space time and matter really meet it's 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 this moment where we can be real um there's raw emotion in psalms if you felt like god has disappointed you it's okay to say, even to put it into song and, and, and to, to, to write a poem about it. If you feel frustrated, you feel like he's far off, you feel like you've done things, but where are you, God? There's moments where God shows up in such a way that he says, be free to talk like this. And, and I'm going to share one of my own stories uh, actually uh, with that in a moment. But I want to give you a quick outline as to kind of how the whole book of Psalms is written. There's an image I want to show you. Um, super easy to understand, right? Okay. Um, now, now here, I, I want to say this. This is actually a, a, a picture um, of a completed video, an eight-minute video from the Bible Project that we have on our Facebook page. You're more than welcome uh, uh, to check out, okay? And it kind of goes through all the nuances. And I was going to show that video, but it's kind of long, and, and, um, and it's all of this, right? So, um, so here, let me just give you kind of a, a brief outline. I even got a laser pointer. Okay, let's do this. Okay, um, okay so um, first things first, there's, a, there's 150, as you can see from the top, working from here, 150 Hebrew poems. Now, now, this is not a hymn book, meaning um, we don't just have a collection of songs that from the beginning of time God gave to the people of Israel just to kind of sing and to read. This is a long historical story, the people of Israel kind of collectively gathering songs as they go along. Some of them, are, most of them are written by a guy named David. You can see up here, but, but the truth is a fourth of them, we don't even know who they're written by, okay? Some are written by Solomon, Moses, um, so on and so forth. But here's the structure of Psalms, and this is important as we go through certain um, uh, books in here, is that there are five kind of breaks, as you can see, one, two, three, four, five, Five different breaks for the book of Psalms. So maybe you grew up in a Christian home and you didn't know that. You kind of just read these Psalms as they are, kind of in your own personal study time, which is, is good. But the reality is it kind of breaks up. And each book, as these five books are broken up, they're broken up with the statement, may the Lord of Israel be blessed forever. Sometimes it says forever and ever. Amen and amen. And, and what's important about these five books is as we go through them, they're kind of different stories. But at the very end, you're going to see five um, books who are specifically led to a doxological, uh, um, a worship type way to end the book of Psalms, okay? Which leads us with two books in the very beginning, Psalm 1 and 2, um, that we're actually going to go over Psalm 1. We won't hit Psalm 2, but I'll explain it a little bit um, to, to kind of lead into what, what the, the book of Psalms is. Now, here's what I want to say. As you look at this, it's really important that you recognize um, 
that though it's not a hymn book, these are times where there's moments where, for example, um, a guy named David beats this huge giant. You may have heard the, the story of David and Goliath, right? And the people of Israel are rejoicing. So it's, it's like this, yes, this is awesome. And then there are certain moments where, where the people of Israel have been, have been completely defeated, right? And so it's kind of gathered, all the history of Israel is kind of gathered into these Psalms and put together, which leads us to two things I want to say before we, we get into the book of Psalms. The first one is this, the book of Psalms, Psalms um, which is called the Psalter, um, if you hear that term, is meant to be read in community, okay? Um, so I, I think it's great, and I would encourage you to read the book of Psalm. Pick a Psalm, you know, 139 or whatever it is, and you read it, and it's good. But the reality is these books were written, these chapters were written to be read together, together. And, and, and because of that, um, each week as we, we uh, go through a Psalm, today's only six verses, we're going to together declare the Psalm, okay? Or actually, in this instance, I'm going to read it, and we're going to respond together that the Psalm would be true. The second thing is there are raw emotions in the book of Psalms raw emotions and this is actually kind of broken up first let me give you kind of a broad view a cluster view of what these same psalms look like let me show you another image of the cluster of what psalms looks like okay so for 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 some instances there are praise psalms right where there's just a moment where you're recognizing dang god is good he is so good look how great he is right and then there are other moments where, where there's trust psalms there's hymn psalms where they sing psalms of thanksgiving there's wisdom psalms you can see the largest psalm in um in the entire psalter psalm 119 it's all about the word of god there are royal psalms just declaring the majesty of god god's uh, king and who he is and all that and then the largest portion of all the psalms is lament like there's a moment where we as a people don't have to be driven towards here's how it is but we look and go why? Why are the minorities of our culture and the police force feel like they're such at odds? Like, why as a, as a generation are we murdering by the millions babies? And instead of trying to stand there with all the answers, there are moments. You have to understand this because you as Christians do not believe this. It messes the whole societal, societal balance of everything for us not to go, guys, listen, in these moments, I know we're wondering what God is doing. I know we have questions but this just sucks. It's just awful. And to sit in that and to understand the way the world is set up right now is not the way it's supposed to be. It's just not. The world is broken. And for us to lament that is a big deal. But it's more than just lament. If you were to take this cluster and break it out, I, um, I did a, a little study that I want to read to you. There's 24 of them. I'm not going to go through every single verse. But all of the emotions that the, that, uh, uh, the Psalter Psalms brings up, okay? So here's all of the emotions. I'm assuming we have felt, if not at least one uh, more of them. Um, Psalm 25 tell, talks to us about loneliness. Psalm 18, love. Uh, Psalm 33, awe. Psalm 31, sorrow. Psalm 38, regret. Uh, Psalm 51, contrition. Psalm 42, discouragement and turmoil. Psalm 44 brings us shame. Psalm 21 t- talks to us about exaltation. Uh, Psalm uh, 118 talks to us about marveling. Uh, so I'll just go on through these, and if you want the, the addresses, I can give them to you later. But for the sake of time, it talks about marveling, delight, joy, gladness, fear, anger, peace, grief, desire, hope, brokenheartedness, gratitude, zeal, pain, confidence, on and on and on. It goes through these emotions. These, these raw emotions of, of, of what it is and how it feels, which is a, a really big deal because here, here it is. Um, we feel those emotions. Uh, my junior year in high school, um, 
my sophomore year in high school, I, I met my wife, Candace, and I'd just become a Christian months prior. And um, so we started dating, and uh, she's a year older than I am, so she was a junior. You want to date the older lady? And so uh, 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 so my, my senior year, she goes off to this uh, uh, program called Master's Commission, this cult thing. And so she goes off into San, into San Diego, and she does this, this year-long program where she's kind of studying the Bible and all that. But here's a part of the program um, that, that uh, you know, was kind of rough is in this program this master's commission program you're not allowed to date matter of fact this is why i call it a cult you're not allowed to uh you're not allowed to talk to someone of the opposite sex for longer than five minutes okay and you're like um okay besides that besides that being the point my senior year in high school she goes off my girlfriend of a couple years um which would ends up being my high school sweetheart we married so we're okay i got her out of the cult now um okay so 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 she goes off there, but, but it's not just her. My, my best friend, Eric, my, my other best buddy, Uche, they, they both go to the same program in San Diego, right? Okay, well, my other friend, my really only other good friend at the time named John Green, goes to San Francisco for chef school. So my senior year, all these guys are, uh, all these people are older than me. They leave me. Well, um, just a year prior, at the end of my sophomore year, beginning of my junior year, I'm, I'm adopted by this family. I've told you guys this story. Well, um, this family still lives, but at the time lived right next to this huge open field. It was just this big open field that this school had just kind of started. It was owned by a church, but no one ever really used it. And I remember my senior year, every single night, Every night, um, I would at least get close to the fence where it, where it is to jump, or I would jump over that fence. I would take a guitar because I just learned how to play, and I would go in the field, and I would just yell at God. Like, I was so mad at him, you guys. I, I, I mean, I said thing. I said so I, my My sophomore year when I got saved, the first thing God worked on me was cussing. But I remember being out in that field my senior year just cussing at God, so mad at him that he would take my girlfriend, that he would take my friends, and that now I'm alone, and, and, and I'm trying to live this, this gospel life out, but the reality is, here's my senior year, all my buddies that are going to do these things, and I don't want to do those things, so I'm left here, I'm this, like, loser kid, and I'm so frustrated, and I remember being just raw emotion, like, just honest, like, and, and, and here's why, why I share that story, because um, after all that was over, and, and um, you know, they came back, and, and Candace and I, uh, we started dating again, I remember looking back at that year, really thinking to myself, um, I'll never have to hide my emotion from God again. Like, I won't. I mean, if there was ever a moment that I, I crossed over the line of saying things to God, it was that year. And the reality is, here's what's crazy, is I recognize in that, I wasn't telling him something that he didn't already know how I felt. He, he already knew my frustrations. He already knew that I was extremely um, bothered by the fact that now I'm lonely sitting here. But at the same time, looking back, it was the best year of my life. Because as God and I drew together, as I began to get real with him, understanding that he, he is the one I made in his image, and he has emotion. And if he has emotion, it's okay for me to have emotion. So as I had emotion, I began to wrestle. And you may think that's heresy, but the reality is um, there's parts in Habakkuk and, and the Psalms where it feels like, the, the people are just going, and God, you beep, 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 beep. It does. It feels like it's very like, are you allowed to say that to God? Like, it just feels like you left us. Who are you? Where are you? There's, there's very frustrating parts in the book of Psalms that, that, that helps us, allows us to be uh, raw with God. So I think that's important, okay? So with that said, those kind of two caveats, that it's, it's written for community, and it's extremely emotional. I want to read a quote to you. Um, about this as we go into the, the book of Psalms. It's from a guy named Eugene Peterson, um, and he he don't want to say gave us a translation because i don't think it's a translation of the bible but he gave us the message bible which is i would argue is a commentary on the bible whatever jim ellis says is wrong in this area um okay so this is what he says and i i think it's helpful okay our habit is to talk about god not to him we love discussing god 
The Psalms resist these discussions. They are not provided to teach us about God, but to train us in responding to him. We don't learn the Psalms until we are praying them. Abstraction is an enemy of prayer. Beautiful ideas are an enemy of prayer. Fine thoughts are an enemy of prayer. Authentic prayer begins when we stub our toes on a rock, get drenched in a rainstorm, get slapped in the face by an enemy, or run into a tree that has been placed or that has been in our path for so long that we have ceased to see it and now stand back in bruised and wondering awe before it. So what the Psalms are going to do is not provide us ways to theologically kind of talk about God in an ethereal sense, but they're going to say, no, 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 he's here. He right now is deeper than the person sitting next to you. He knows your thoughts. He knows your frustrations. He knows that you feel far from him. He knows that, that you feel like you left him, that, 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 that he left you. He knows that right now. And that's not something we can just kind of talk about in some weird out there sense. No, it's within you. Right now, you're feeling that emotion. He knows that. And with that, we get to dive into those emotions. And so uh, my prayer is as we go through the Psalms that we address this together, that we talk about these together. Um, So let's do Psalms uh, chapter 1. Let's go at it. If you're not already there, you can turn there. We're going to start in verse 1. If you're new, it's going to be like a huge Bible study. We've got six verses to cover. I'm going to cover predominantly most of our time. is going to be verses 1 through 4. Um, verses 5 and 6 are good, but I won't spend as much time because of time um, on those things. And, and uh, the first part is going to be real quick. This is how Psalm 1, uh, the entire book of Psalm itself, starts. It starts with these four words, blessed is the man. Okay, stop really quickly. Okay, we've got a lot to cover, but I'm going to stop there. Blessed is the man. Um, the first thing I need you to understand about the, 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 the chapter that we're going to cover, and I might be wrong on this, but what I'm finding so far, and I'll get back to you before the end of Psalms as, my, as I continue to study it, I think it's true for all of the Psalms, but for sure in Psalm 1 is, there is no imperatives to Psalm 1, meaning there are no commands. What Psalm 1 is not going to do is going to tell you, here is what you have to do. And again, I might be wrong, but I'm pretty positive the entire book of Psalms 150 of them never say, now do this, don't do this. Instead, what it does is it tells you about reality. So instead of going, here's what you have to do, it says, no, no, check it out. You could choose to do this, but here's how the world works. It's like talking to a one-year-old and a 10-year-old about touching the outlet. To to the 10-year-old, you can go, listen, if you touch that outlet, you're going to get shocked. You're going to get shocked. I wouldn't touch it if I was you. You're going to be electrocuted if you talk. But if you talk to a one-year-old, you go, now listen, if you touch that outlet, you're going to be electrocuted. Okay, the, the one-year-old doesn't care, right? The, the one-year-old in that moment has to be told, no, you got to slap the one-year-old's hand. No, don't do that. You'll be shocked. But the Psalms are not going to afford us the luxury of going, God, just tell me what to do. Instead, it's going to say, let me state reality. And the reality it's going to state is, blessed is the man. Whether you like this or not, Here's the reality. Blessings come. Blessing uh, being straight or, or, or trusting or narrow. We're going to talk about the, the repercussions of what blessings are. But whatever it is, blessings are going to come to the man. I'm not saying here's what you have to do. I'm saying they're going to come to this type of man and they're not going to come to this type of man. That's all we need to know. So it's not a matter of have tos. It's a matter of here's how it is. Okay? So he starts with blessed um, is the man. He goes on to say this. Who walks not in the council of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, but uh, nor sits, or, nor sits, sorry, in the seat of the scoffers. But in, but his delight. Okay, we can do this. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates 
day and night. So the thing that it's going to first bring out in front of us is when it says, blessed is the man, let me just say, I've tried to do my best to tell you in a gender neutral thing. It doesn't obviously mean just men here. Um, this is a, a very anyone type language. So blessed is someone, blessed is the person you, you could even say, blessed is the man though in this culture. Blessed is the man who, the first thing it's going to define as, here's the person, here's how it is, and what he doesn't do. And what he doesn't do is this. He doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. He doesn't stand in the way of sinners. And he doesn't sit in the seat of the scoffers. Now, instead of trying to understand what the path of sinners is and, and, and what the seat of the scoffers is, I'd rather have us focus on the verbs real quick. Because this is a great literary device that I think is going on here. We can almost add the words or at least change out the words uh, in, in, in the way that's playing is to, to much less. So, so you can almost say this. Um, the, the man is blessed. Here's how it is. The man is blessed. Who, who, doesn't, uh, uh, who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, okay? much less stand in the way of sinners, much less sit in the seat of the scornful. So it's this great literary device that the psalmist is going to write and say, there's a progressive way to go about this. The, the man who's blessed, well, we'll talk about blessing, he doesn't walk in the way of the wicked. Not only does he not walk in the way of the wicked, he doesn't, much less a walk, he doesn't even stand in the way of the wicked. Like, so there, there's a walking, yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a, he doesn't stand there, and if he ain't standing there, he definitely ain't sitting there. So, so the first thing that, that we can understand of this man who is blessed, again, we will define it, is he don't mess around with sin. It's not something that he casually does. It's not something that he's okay with. It's not something he's getting comfortable with as he sits there. No, 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 no. The man who is blessed avoids it. He avoids it. Now, that may feel like imperative, but it's just the truth. Blessings, it's literally in the plural. Blessings come to the man who avoids sin. But, the second part of this, there's a repercussion. His delight is in the law of the Lord. Here's what I love about this. We can look at someone walking. We can look at someone standing and we can look at someone sitting. But it would be very hard for us to look at someone delighting. So immediately what it's going to do is the man who is blessed is not someone who just avoids doing certain things, but it's the man whose affection. Remember how we talked about emotion? Well, this psalm is about delighting. It's an affection. It's something. This man is blessed who delights in God's word. Something deep within us. I was talking to Candace because for the last three weeks, I've been trying to narrow down how to define delighting because I don't feel like enjoyment does its service, but it's the closest synonym I can come to. It's the ultimate enjoyment, the one who delights, who finds real enjoyment, real joy in God's word. So it's not someone who just reads it, but because but, but, he goes on to say this, and I, I think this is beautiful. So it's not someone who just walks, stand, avoids sin, getting away from sin, but furthermore, he delights. So it's not, I, I, don't, I don't do those things, but rather, I enjoy doing this. Now, I can only talk to Christians in this moment. So if you're not a believer, and I'm not trying to ostracize you, but the reality is, this is something that God does within the Christian that goes, and like, don't you want to strive after me? Yeah, I do desperately do what does that look like i I don't know your friend's talking to you why i'm just i'm telling you there's something within me that is crying out to the depths of god and i just want to know him there's a delight in that but he goes on to say this but in responding not just of things we shouldn't do but his delight is in the law of the lord and on his law he meditates day and night 
So there's a sustainability to that. Now we can actually watch someone meditating on something. Medi- meditating is, is I, I think, probably a, a cultural okay. You could say that's anyone, right? Most religions um, would say meditating is okay. You can even meditate without being religious. But what's different about Christian meditation is the idea that we're not just looking inwardly. Um, that, that's not something we're looking at. So Christians don't meditate to look inside within ourselves. Christians technically don't even meditate to look to something outside of ourselves. Matter of fact, Christian meditation is always directed towards the Bible. So here's what's crazy. I, I shared this with you guys um, I th- I, probably like four or five months ago, but I want to say it again because um, I think it's an important thing to say, and I've talked with my community in droves about this, but the Bible actually never, ever tells you to read the Bible. Yay, okay, let's go, okay? The, the Bible actually never tells us to read it. So it never at one point says, pick up your Bible and read it. There's no imperative. There's moments where people do that, but never tells you to do that. Rather, and this is a big difference, and it's a difference because a lot of us haven't been taught to do this well. It tells us to meditate on it. It tells us to memorize it. It tells us to study it. It tells us to hide it within our heart over and over and over. There is a difference than just reading your Bible and meditating on your Bible. So the best way I can probably tell you, give you direction of meditating, um, is in own, my own definition. I'm not saying this is right. I wanted to keep it super simple. But this is how I would define you can meditate on your Bible. And I think meditation correlates with delight. And I'll tell you how in a second. But this is what it says. And this is what I would say defining meditation. Meditation is taking time and energy to understand God's word. That's what meditation is. Now, now, what do I mean by time and energy? I, I got five things that I think would, would be helpful with time and energy, and I'm not going to, I'll label them, but I'm not going to end up defining them. But, but the first one is we think about it. So we don't just read it. We think about what we're reading. We think about it. The second thing is, and this was huge outside of the 1900s, we repeat it out loud. Blessed is the man. 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 What is it? Blessed. Blessed. Blessed is the man. Does not, blessed is the man, blessed is the man, blessed is the man who does not walk, blessed is the man, we're repeating it. This is a huge Puritan, uh, a way to understand scripture, we're repeating it out loud. So we're not just thinking about it, we're not just repeating it out loud, but we're studying it. I've shared this before, you've got Google, use it. Um, we have conversations about, this is why it's huge in community. What do you think it means to be blessed? And, and, and like, like, blessed is the man who does not walk, what does it mean to walk in the way of the wicked? What, is that, what does that look like? Like, how does that? So we're having conversations about it. These are all forms of meditation. We're not done having conversations about it. And I would say even questioning it. Now, I don't mean questioning whether or not it's true, but, but even in this psalm, we're going to hear the word blessed, and we're going to hear the word prosper. And every Christian in here who's ever followed God with all of their heart and felt let down feels like this psalm is betraying you. To go, wait a minute, God. I have fought to avoid sin. I, I, I've tried to memorize your Bible, and I, I've not felt blessed. I don't feel like I'm prospering. What is that? And to question, and to be in it, and, and to go through it. Now, here's the last thing I would say to do, but I don't think you have to work at doing this if you do these other things. For the love of everything that is holy, memorize it. Memorize the Bible. I, there's nothing else that's going to give you faith. There's nothing else that's going to make you wise into salvation. There's nothing else that's going to rebuke you, exhort you, train you into righteousness. There's nothing else that's going to divide your innermost thoughts. It is the Bible. And when you're sitting there, you memorize it. But what's crazy about this is, this is just a little encouragement for those of you who are just new believers. I, I, I would wait on trying to memorize all of Leviticus, okay? Um, rather, read your Bible. And when you come across a verse that is just like, whoa, that's crazy. Maybe you even read it before, and you read it and you go, holy cow. And you say it out loud, and you talk to people about it, 
and you study it, what's so crazy about this is you're not going to have to go memorize, 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 memorize. You'll just memorize it. You at that point have meditated on it. And in meditating on it, anything you're going to meditate is slowly going to seep within you. And as you meditate on it, you memorize it. And as you memorize it, it becomes this great tool. I remember the very first verse I ever uh, memorized was 1 Corinthians 9.27. And it's not because I tried. But I remember as a teenager trying to work on being self-controlled and and trying to look at, like, here's what I want to stop doing. And I just remember very specifically reading 1 Corinthians 9.27, and it pops off the page, right? And I was going to quote it to you, but I forgot it. So what's the point, okay? Um. Self, something about self-control. I beat my body daily. That first service, I had no problem. Okay, well, don't even worry about it then because that's pointless. Um, that is extremely frustrating. Okay, I'm 31. What's going on? Okay, um, so here, here we, we go on to this. So, so delight, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on it he meditates day and night. I want to read something to you guys from a guy named John Piper who talks specifically about this verse. This is what it says, okay? I think this is helpful. Delight, then meditation. I discipline my body daily, bringing up subjection. That's what it is, okay. Um, Delight, then meditation, okay? Delight is a response of the heart to the beauty and value of something or someone, in this case, to God's word. But meditation involves careful, sustained thought. It takes work and involves the will. Meditation done well should serve, strengthen, and sustain delight. So, so, so check it out. You've created palettes. You've created palettes. You like things. There are things that you enjoy. But what's crazy about those, some of those things have been accrued. You've learned to like those things. So you, you don't naturally, no one sits down on a bench and goes, I am going to go on Facebook now. No one does that. No one consciously just goes, okay, I better get my Facebook in. No, when you sit down without thinking about it, you just open Facebook. You just open Twitter. You just open your email. You just uh, check your text, whatever it is. You have trained yourself to do these things. And what meditation does is it trains you to delight. It trains you to delight in the right things. To go, I, I like this. And it's not always easy. It's not always easy. Matter of fact, I would argue creating these new rivets in your brain are extremely difficult. But there are some repercussions that I think can motivate us, and I want to come back to that very idea because here are the repercussions of this blessed man who avoids these things but also delights in God and memorizing, meditating on his word. This is what happens to this type of person. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. So the imagery that I'm getting, and maybe you're getting something different, is I'm picturing some type of hobbit-like river, right? Okay, and so there's this river. There's a tree that have, maybe even has roots exposed, some into the water, but some, and it's planted, and it's not going anywhere. And because it's around water, it's always green. Candace and I, um, last week, spent a couple days celebrating our 10-year anniversary in Santa Monica. And what was awesome was everywhere you go, it's green. Because the the moisture in the air, I don't know what they're putting in the plants, but everything is green, right? And the reality is planted by a stream of living water, it's solid. It's not going anywhere. It doesn't matter the storm. It doesn't matter the heat. At the end of the day, it's not going anywhere. And I think there are some things that we can grab from this imagery because now we're going to define what this blessing is. And this blessing is defined as um, it gets its life from another source. I would argue this is what the imagery is telling us. Um, When the time is right, its fruit will show. So there are moments where you feel like you're bare and there's nothing there, but its fruit will show. And then the last one is, it's not going anywhere. It doesn't matter the heat. It doesn't matter the wind. It doesn't matter the weather. It's not going anywhere. Okay. Um, 
So, so what is the blessing? And this is, this is some of what's changing our palate. If that type of man is blessed, do we even want to be blessed? And I would argue, at the very depths of your conscience, yes. Here's why. I think every male in here, well, just in general, wants to grow up in one way or the other and be the Jim Ellis's of the world. Honestly. Be the David Beeman's, the John Weekly's. You want to grow up and you want to be the guy who people look to. You want to be the sages. Nobody looks at the 95-year-old man. Jim's not 95. Nobody looks, it's like 100 or something. Um, okay, nobody looks at the 95-year-old drunk and goes, that's what I want to be like when I grow up. Nobody. Nobody does that. No. We, we have a, ju- a, a, a culture that celebrates youth, but the reality is when push comes to shove, if we can understand the wisdom that is found in older men and women as we look at them and go, I want to be like that when I grow up. I want to have wisdom. I, wa- I want to be able to look back and go, my kids love Jesus. My kids, kids love Jesus. My kids, kids, kids love Jesus. I love my wife well. Sometimes I stumbled. I love my kids well. Sometimes I faltered. But at the end of the day, I'm planted. I'm not going anywhere. I've been faithful in the same direction. And hear me when I say this. It may not feel like a blessing right now, but give it 40 years. Give it 40 years. And when it's all said and done and you're ready to retire, you will want to be the Jim Ellis's of the world. You will want to be the wise sages that people look to, to finish well. I mean, ask anybody over 60. Nobody wants to go, I just really wish I would have wasted my life more. Nobody does that. No, the truth is, there is an extreme blessing in looking at the longevity of your life and recognizing the fireworks will fade. They will fade. And when push comes to shove, you can be solid, planted, set, gathering life from from something else that is not of you, found in Jesus Christ, never, ever faltering or failing in the sense that you're, 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 the tree dies, but, but continuing to produce fruit in due season, you're in it. You're faithful in the same direction. Man, that's what we need. And the Bible understands this. And the Bible recognizes the reality of this. Because you know what the opposite of that is? The opposite of the, is this found in verse 4. The wicked are not so, but they're like chaff that the wind drives away. When you, when you would pluck wheat, you'd take a, a, a stalk of wheat, and you rub it in your hands, right? And, and all the chaff would fall. That's protecting the little wheat morsels that are inside, right? And so you have the wheat. But nothing, there's no good for the chaff. Maybe you're more familiar with like corn stalks, right? So no one eats the greens that grows off, right? They're either good for compost or trash. You take those off, but you want the corn inside. I mean, the best example that I, I think I can come, that I think Psalm 1-4 uh, is actually getting at is peanuts, a modern-day example. Like, no one sits on their couch. They break in the break of peanuts getting, right? And an hour later, somehow they're covered in peanut shells. Um, it's on the couch. They're everywhere. And when they stand up and they brush themselves off, no one goes, you guys, stop, 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 stop. Um, okay, get a broom, get a dustpan. We need to get these on ice immediately, um, okay? No one is worried about the peanut shells. Why? Why would you be worried about the peanut shells? No, you brush them off, and they're done. And this is the opposite. Like it or not, it's not an imperative. It is a reality that those who stay true, close to, and hold fast to God's word are like trees that have life, and those who do not are like peanut shells. (laughs) Blown away. We're done. And, 
and here's, here's what I want to say to this. Um, talking to people that I've discipled, um, people in our church, and just even getting other, um, I guess, temperatures and feels of people in communities, most of us as Christians feel like peanut shells, though. We don't feel like trees. We feel like um, he's gone. We feel like we're dead inside. We feel like we're lifeless. We feel like there's nothing. We, we feel like peanut shells. Here's what I'm going to say. My delights when I was 16, year old, 16 years old are not my same delights. They're not. I think anybody over 30 recognizes that over the course of your life, not just your palate of your taste bud, but your palate in life changes. Uh, I think a be- the best example I can give of this is Chris Doherty, who goes to our church. It's amazing to watch Chris, if you don't know who he is, where six months ago, he was almost 100 pounds heavier than he is. And I remember just kind of following him on Facebook or whatever and, and, and just kind of watching his life and the things that he delighted in, the sweets, the junk, um, the things that he found joy in of doing nothing, right? Now watching him six months taking selfie with his girls as they hike a mountain, his delights have changed. He has changed the way that he views the world in such a way that his delights are no more, yeah, yeah, I like that. No, 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 no. I would have never thought six months ago I would have liked hiking. I would have never thought that. His delights have changed. Now, ask Chris, day one, he jumps on that treadmill. All right, Chris, you're doing it. Ask him, oh, dude, this is the best thing ever. No, 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 no. This is an acquired taste, y'all. This is an acquired taste. And to delight in God, there's a flicker within some of you that God has started and it's burning, but it feels like it's absent at times. And to take that and go, I'm going to run with it. I'm going to meditate on it. And it's going to bring me faith and it's going to grow and it's going to grow. And I'll stop being blown away like peanut shells. But I'll slowly establish my roots. I'll get in deep and I'm in for the long hauls. I'm faithful in the same direction. And that life leads to blessing. It leads to blessing. What's crazy about the tree that prospers, it doesn't mean it never goes through the storm. It doesn't mean that it it loses its fruit. It doesn't mean that um, it might lose a branch. No, the reality is all the things that take place are for its good. And as Christians, as we recognize, listen, you'll lose a loved one. 100%, 100% of us will lose a loved one. Mom, dad, brother, sister, child. We'll lose a loved one. That day's coming. You will be on your deathbed one day. That day is coming. A loss of a girlfriend, a loss of a boyfriend, a loss of a husband, a loss of a wife. That day is coming. It's coming. The reality is, that doesn't mean storms don't come. But no, hear me. In that, God, whatever you're doing, I prosper. This is for my own good, for your glory. That's the beauty of the tree. Because if you're just a peanut shell in those moments, who's God? Forget God. I'm out. You want to be like a tree. Let's go on to finish verses 5 and 6 as we start to wrap up. He says this, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The last thing that I think are the benefits of both um, the dichotomy that's set up between the righteous and the wicked. However, we want to play these things out. But the righteous is always someone who trusts in the Lord, right? So this person who is blessed, who meditates on the, 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 the law of the Lord, who delights in it, his, his satisfaction is not just found in this earth, okay? But check this out. There is something deeper within you that desires God than you even know. Hear me. It's an eternal satisfaction. 
It's not a synthetic joy that's here and gone. No, 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 hear me. I don't care what happens to me as a tree. I know at the end of the day, I have all eternity. So, so give me 70 years of crap. The reality is I got all eternity. I'm not going anywhere. And the blessing that comes with this idea is there is an eternal security that is set up for the Christian to go, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I'm not going to be blown away, but I'm in this. I think John Piper in his book, Desiring God, again, um, if you've never read this book, um, it's kind of like a hallmark for most Christians. I would say top 100 books uh, read by Christians. It's, it's, he calls himself a Christian hedonist. If you don't know what hedonism is, it's someone who strives for pleasure, right? So, so someone who strives for pleasure, looking for pleasure ultimately. We as Christians look at that and go, wait a minute. But the reality is he would say we're wired in such a way that we should desire those things of pleasure because God has put them within us, but we satisfy ourselves with lower things. And this is a quote that he says, um, in this book, it's probably one of the most famous quotes. Specifically, the last line is kind of what put him on the map. It says this, The longing to be happy is a universal human experience, and it is good, not sinful. We should never try to, to deny or resist our longing to be happy as though it were a bad impulse. Instead, we should seek to intensify this longing and nourish it with whatever will provide the deepest and most enduring satisfaction. The deepest and most enduring happiness is found only in God. Not from God, but in God. To the extent that we try to abandon the pursuit of our own pleasure, we fail to honor God and love people. Or to put it positively, the pursuit of pleasure is a necessary part of all worship and virtue. Let me stop before I read the last line. You hear that last line? Like, it is the pursuit of pleasure that drives you worshiping. Now, now listen, gather together in, in, in moments of, of Sunday where as we sing to God together. There is something that happens. And, and may it feelings, goose, I, I, whatever it is, there is something that God um, reveals himself to in one way or the other and goes, this is what it is. What you're feeling, what you're going through is me, the reality. But it's more than that, isn't it? Like there's a moment where, where, the, where the man or the woman who's gone out and they, they thought they were going to sin, but they fought. They fought, they, they tooth and nail, I'm not doing it, I'm not doing it. And they go home and they lay their head on the pillow and they go, yes, I, I beat it, I did it. I did it. There is something within us and that is looking for delight. We're striving after something and that fills you fully because the reality is if they gave into that temptation, it may satisfy for a moment, but it leaves in never ending emptiness. So, so, so what he's putting in front of us is, yes, pleasure is good, but it's found in God. The ultimate satisfaction is great, but it's only found in God. And then the last line, he says this, that is the chief end of man. The ultimate purpose of man is to, flo- is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. The main reason we're created is to enjoy God forever. And that's how we glorify him. So, so, so we are made in such a way to bring glory to God. And the best way that we bring glory to God is finding all of our happiness, all of our delight, all of our sa- uh, uh, satisfaction in him. I hope this is true of us. Um, this is what I want to say as we leave. Um, I'm going to read Psalm 1, but if you ever get a chance, because of time, I can't read it. Um, I don't really share my personal uh, um, time that I use in devotion, but I shared with my community something I was reading a couple months ago in the, the Gospel of John. And in, in John chapter 3, uh, there's this crazy statement that essentially Jesus is talking to this guy named Nicodemus. And when talking to this guy Nicodemus, Nicodemus is asking about um, 
I don't know, salvation. He's processing salvation with him. And, and so as he's talking with him, you know, Jesus ends up explaining all these things, being born again, so on and so forth, and eventually makes this crazy statement. He says, and this is the judgment of God. Now, usually you're not going to hear that language, but I think he says it three, possibly four times at the, the end of John, depending on how you translate it. But he for sure says it three times in the Gospel of John. This is the judgment of God. And every single time, it, it piggybacks or it springboards off of the statement that he makes next. So when we think of the judgment of God, hear me when I say this. We think of the judgment of God, we think like white throne, we think God the Father sitting, us in a line coming up, showing us our deeds, go to hell, go to heaven. That's the way that we're processing judgment. But he says, and this is the judgment of God, colon. So now I'm going to define the judgment of God. That's what Jesus is saying in this moment. Let me define the judgment of God. And then this is what he says. He says, that uh, this is the judgment of God, that I have come into the world and I am light. And I have come to those who are in darkness. But those who are in darkness love the darkness and hate the light. Now, how is that the judgment of God? No, the, the reality is, and this is as I've continued to meditate on it, right? Ask people about it and say it out loud. What is he doing? It feels like in that moment, he is almost saying there's a part of his judgment that is passive. Not necessarily active, not, not hit you on the head like a weasel, but, but the reality is that's what you want. You, you love darkness so much, then have it. And that's judgment. You, you hate the light so much, then have the darkness. He lets you have what you want. How terrible is that? Which leads us to believe that Jesus, if he is the incarnate word, to meditate on the laws, to meditate on him and who he is, as he tells us over and over in John 14, 15, 16, and 17, that all joy and fulfillment is found in him, leads us to believe that you feel certain ways, but it doesn't make them right. The only way that you will avoid judgment is not getting what you want. You understand? So there are things that you want that are not for your own good, but to conform your wants, your desires, your delights to Jesus is where you will find not just fulfillment, but eternal satisfaction. You guys can stand to your feet, please. We're going to read Psalm 1. And you guys can sit down after this as we uh, meditate, but this is a big thing as, as we would read. And so we're going to always do a reading of the Psalm that we went over. This is Psalm 1. Um, I'm going to read a portion of it. Um, and if you can, John, just put up their response, if you could. And we're just going to leave that. So I'm going to leave that response, and then you don't have to go back and forth. I'm going to read the psalm, and then I would love for us as a congregation to respond, may it be so of us, Lord. Okay? That seems like a, may it be so of us, Lord. Um, okay? May it be so of us, Lord. Um, and I'm going to read the first part, and then we're going to respond, may it be so of us, Lord. And then the second part, may it be so of us, Lord. And then I'm going to read through the rest of the psalm. And then in responding to the whole psalm, we say, may it be so of us, Lord. I'll pray. You guys can have a seat, and then we'll respond together. So this is what Psalm 1, as we just read, said. I hope that this is our prayer, because this is as a congregation. They would have read it, and this is how we'll read it now. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. May it be so of us, Lord. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked will perish. And to this whole psalm, we respond, 
Let's pray. Father, thank you for this psalm. We're grateful, God, for the opportunity to be able to read your word, to study your word, to meditate on it. That is our prayer. May this psalm be so of us, Lord. May we soak it in. May it be true of us. May we be those who are blessed because we avoid sin, but not just because we have to, but because we delight in other things. Thank you so much for your word and the power of it. In Jesus' name, amen.